Welcome to this week's episode of the program. Uh, we are doing this just me today, ladies and gentlemen. This is a one-on-one. Just uh, Robert Berger here and the uh, the audience. No, the uh, the hit band trio has not broken up. We were just experiencing incredible, incredible technical difficulties, which uh, do not allow us to record for some reason. I've got multiple different softwares that I use um, to record remotely. As I mentioned, it's been mentioned at some point. I know uh, Scott and Lee live up in Ohio, a short cross-country flight away from one another. And then I am down here in Palm Beach. Uh, but we record these remotely, and there's softwares. I actually have two different software programs I pay monthly for to uh, make sure that we always have a backup. And uh, this last Friday that uh, we tried to record, uh, n- neither one would work. And the only thing that changed in our configuration that I can tell is I upgraded my internet speed. So for the time being, we just have no way to record. So I'm recording this uh, Tuesday night uh, before it's released. So this will be the the most, other than the live stream and a couple of live streamings we did, this will be the most current from when the words were actually spoken to the episode release. Typically, we try to try to stay several weeks ahead. But um, since I've taken over the show and doing it solo, I was trying to think of a topic where I, yours truly, would have a, a knowledge advantage over Lee and Scott. And of course, I mean, there's many, many, many areas where I have knowledge superiority over those two. Um, but in the realm of flying, it's more limited. So um, I am an avid scuba diver, as I mentioned before. So we're going to do an episode today about flying after diving. It's very important not to break these rules. And even if you're not a scuba diver, uh, but you are a pilot or planning on being a pilot, uh, you may be in a situation where you're taking divers up who had gone diving, and then you should you should know a little bit about why you shouldn't do that and what some of the procedures are and why those procedures are in place. Uh, that's, that's what I intend to try to explain uh, this episode. First thing I will point out is if you are scuba diving after flying, that's not really a big deal. You, you don't run into any problems, really. Like if you go fly somewhere and then you scuba dive, you're not going to get in trouble scuba diving after flying. I mean, you can. It's just it's not going to be because you've, you just flew. Um, the reverse is not true. It's, it's the scuba diving, going to depth, breathing compressed gases, and then coming up to the surface, and then flying too high too soon, and or too soon, that, is, that, that can cause serious problems. It's called decompression sickness, which we'll get into. And this is in the AIM I'll be reading to uh, get this kicked off here. Uh, we are in section the AIM 8-1-2, Effects of Altitude. Uh, part D, part delta, decompression sickness after scuba diving. And you know, since I'm running the show solo here, uh, we are going to uh, read the whole section, which isn't that big. So bear with me here. Uh, one, a pilot or passenger who intends to fly after scuba diving should allow the body sufficient time 
to rid itself of excess nitrogen absorbed during diving, if not decompression sickness due to evolved gas can occur during exposure to low altitude and create a serious in-flight emergency. The, the grammar on that last sentence is bothering me, but we'll, we'll ignore that. So basically, when you are going... I'm just, this is going to take some editing, I, I fear already, which should be easier since there's only me talking. But anyway, I'm trying to explain this in a way that is easy to understand. And uh, it was very last minute, so it wasn't planned. Not that we plan any episodes. But basically, when you are going down scuba diving, you're breathing compressed gas. Because the deeper you go, the the heavier that water is. And you have... But, but it's from all sides. And then you're... So you don't really notice it so much. I mean, there's areas you notice it, but you don't feel like you're being crushed. Unless you're doing something terribly wrong. Um in which case you probably shouldn't be diving because you didn't go through proper training or there's something really bad happening. But you, typically you're not, you don't feel like you have multiple weights of the world on you, um, which in reality you should. Because you think about it, if you swim under, I mean, don't do this, but we're just talking hypotheticals, you swim under a giant ship. That weight of the ship, which is gigantic, is being held up by the water in which you are swimming. So all that weight of the ship is kind of on you, sort of in a way. So it can be incredible pressures that you experience while diving, that you just don't experience uh, in air. And um, those are pushing. The way you can do that and not feel like you're being crushed is that you're breathing gas out of that, that scuba tank. And then there's regulators. That's where you see the hoses and everything coming out of the tank, going in the diver's mouth. You're breathing that in, and that air is being released at whatever pressure the surrounding water is at. So the air going into your lungs, into your body cavities, your orifices, your nose, your sinuses, your lungs, uh, your esophagus, that is all the same pressure as the water. So that's holding the water it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like there's a compressing force. But what happens with that is you have extra nitrogen that is being absorbed into your blood. So when we're sitting at sea level, well, I take that back. When we are breathing air, unless you're in some sort of environment that's very odd, I'm talking just fresh air, the air we're breathing is f- basically 79% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. That's the same... Again, I'll make an episode about going hypoxia and stuff like this. People say there's less oxygen up at altitude, which is true. But it's still 21% oxygen. The air is just not as thick, so you're not getting as much oxygen per breath, which is less oxygen, kind of, basically. I don't know. It's, it's, I'll have to think about how to explain that better. Uh, write me an email if you're a hyperbaric uh, medicine doctor. I'd be fascinated to have a contact like that. 
But anyway, 21% oxygen, 79% nitrogen. So when with the reverse of flying, we go down under the surface. We each breath we're taking, we're getting more oxygen and more nitrogen. So at the at the surface, think of it to to do this this formula. We're talking at sea level here, and we're talking salt water. There's a difference between salt water and and fresh water. These calculations are based on salt water, seawater at sea level. So you're sitting on the beach. You got Palm Beach here, beach. And then, um, you know, waves are lapping, little little waves are lapping at your ankles. You're standing at sea level. You're breathing uh, for the point of this, how you do these calculations. You're breathing, we'll call it 0.79, so 79% nitrogen. So you call it 0.79. And then uh, 21% oxygen, so it's 0.21, that equals one. That's one breath, for example. So you're breathing that in. Breathe out. That's the, that's the ratio. That's what your body's used to, unless you live up in, like, Pike's Peak or Nepal or something, where your body's used to very high up. The air pressure that you're breathing... That, that's the entire column of air above you. That's up till the, up through the atmosphere. The entire atmosphere of air is sitting on you. You don't feel it because your body's used to it. But you actually have 14.7 PSI, pounds per square inch, of air pressing on, on you everywhere. That's the, the, you think of the air straight above you all the way up to space where there is no air anymore. Because up at where there is no air anymore, the, the PSI of air is zero. Because it's there's no air. So think of that. You're up in space. Now we're coming down. The, the more and more you come down from space with no air to the surface where there's you know lots of air, lots of hot air if you're down here in sunny South Florida. Once you get down to the surface... Uh, in a sea level area like this, you have 14.7 pounds per square inch of pressure on you. So you got to, th- I, I, I forget what the the altitudes are, but that's a lot of altitude from outer space, no air to the ground. You know, tens and tens of thousands of feet. Possibly, I don't know. I'm not even going to say that. I don't know, the stratosphere, I don't know. I don't know. Lee might know if he was here, could chime in, but he's not. So anyway, to double that, so we're sitting there at at 14.7 PSI here, waves lapping on our ankles on Palm Beach, sand on our feet, good time. And we want to double that. So we're going to go to 29.4 PSI, which would be twice the atmosphere. All you'd have to do is, well, I put on scuba gear because I'm a civilized human being. Other people's free dive, that's very big. Um, I, I don't get it because you go down at best, you know, several minutes and then you got to come back up. So I like, I like to take the tank and just spend some time, some quality time down there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to put on the scuba gear. We just go down 33 feet, 10 meters, and we have doubled the pressure on us. We don't, 
you don't, I mean, there's things you equalize your ears, you got to breathe into your mask a little bit. There's stuff you got to do. You, you do notice that you're going deeper. But for the most part, once you're there, you don't really feel like there's two atmospheres on you anymore at 33 feet. The reason is because the gas you're breathing, the tank, you know, you topped it off, it's an aluminum tank, about 3,000 PSI. You breathe it down to like 1,000 PSI while you're down there, so you're playing with that. And you got your, your regulators on those hoses and stuff. It's, so when you breathe in out of that regulator that you have in your mouth, that air's coming out at roughly 29.4 PSI. And it's entering your lungs at that pressure. And that pressure is putting that equal force out to basically compensate for that water pressure coming in. And you, you breathe normally. And if you experience trained scuba diver, you can swim around at 33 feet and enjoy the reefs. And there's a lot of reefs roughly that depth-ish um, in South Florida. Uh, you could go down to 20 meters, 66 feet. Uh, then you're going to have 44.1 pounds of pressure on you. Again, so that's two atmospheres worth of water and then the actual atmosphere itself of air above the water. That's all going to total up 44.1 PSI. But again, you're not going to feel it because you're breathing the gas at that same PSI then. That's pushing out on your lungs against the water that's kind of pushing in the body. So it feels kind of normal. You're good. As long as you keep breathing, all's good. So we're going to go back up just to make this math easy. We're going to pretend like we didn't deep dip that deep down. So we're, let's say we went down to 33 feet and hung out there for a while. The gas you're breathing at that depth is twice as compressed as the gas we were breathing when we're standing on the beach with the waves lapping at our ankles, okay? It's at 29.4 PSI versus the air we normally breathe is 14.7 PSI. So each breath we take, we're still getting 21% oxygen and, was it, seven, I, yes, 79, duh, minus 100, or minus that from 100, 79% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. We're, the ratio is the same if you're breathing standard air, which we're just, for the purposes of this conversation, we're not, we didn't play with our gas mixes, which scuba divers do. So we're still breathing just normal air. We just filled the tank, normal air. We're not breathing Trimix or Nitrox or anything else. Standard air, same ratio. Even though it's under pressure, we're breathing twice as much each breath. So the way that calculation works, when I, I mentioned the partial pressure um, earlier, that 0.21 partial pressure of oxygen that we're breathing while we're standing on the beach, and that 0.79 uh, nitrogen partial pressure we're breathing when we're standing on the beach, or basically most of our lives. If you've never scuba dived, this is... Well, if you're, if you're a pilot, they go up and it's it's partial pressure goes down at altitude, but that's not what we're talking about. You have you've now doubled that, so your partial pressure of oxygen, breathing the standard gas, at 33 feet, 
So we got two atmospheres, twice as much pressure going on our lungs. That's now 42 or, or 0.42. So you're getting tw- twice as much oxygen once you're down there per breath. Because you're, you're consuming that, like each breath you take is equivalent to like two breaths you would have been taking at the surface. Which, that's fine. Our body uses, well, it's, for, in most cases it's fine. Um, unless you're going to, to some bigger depths. You, you play with that mix. But for conversation here, keeping it simple, this isn't a scuba diving podcast, despite what this episode may feel like. You're basically breathing the gas twice as much. So with nitrogen, 72 or no, 79 times 2 is 158, or uh, 1.58 partial pressure nitrogen. So the oxygen at, 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 let's stick to that depth. There's issues with oxygen you can run into, which is beyond this conversation. But the nitrogen, that's 1.58 partial pressure of nitrogen. Now, nitrogate is an inner gas. Your, your body doesn't use it. It's just there. It's kind of a filler. And our bodies are just go through most of life with the 0.79 partial pressure, nitrogen, coursing through our body. Because remember, the, the air, the nitrogen, the oxygen, all this stuff, yes, it goes into our lungs, but it's also going into our tissues. It's going into our bloodstream. It's going into our entire body. But you go through life as a you know landlubber. You don't go up in the air. You, know, you don't go flying. You don't go down the sea. You kind of stay at sea level. Or if you're you know in the high, in higher altitude, you, you, your body just adjusts to the normal whatever altitude your body spends tons of time at. It's not a big deal. Now that we've now we've gone under the surface, we've doubled up that nitrogen. The longer you're down there, the more nitrogen that you're breathing in that's twice as much nitrogen as you're normally breathing in. That, I mean, if you just quick dip, go down and come back up, it didn't really have enough time to absorb. It was mainly double in your lungs. Maybe your alveoli, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. The little things in your lungs that absorb all the the stuff that you're breathing and, and distribute it to your body, like oxygen. Those are absorbing it first, then it's getting in your bloodstream, then it's getting in your tissues. If you spend a decent amount of time down there, it's getting into your your blood vessels, it's your bloodstream. It's not bubbles. Okay, it's the actual, it's the little molecules. And then when you go back up, the body's ability to bring the nitrogen, or, or any gas for that matter, um, into the body, it can bring it in, it can absorb it much faster than it can get rid of it. So when you're down there at depth, you come back up, and you've been at 33 feet, for example, um, two atmospheres on you and you come back up you're pretty much at 33 feet you're pretty much fine most of the dive tables um you don't you can stay there for i want to say indefinitely i don't know i haven't looked at the tables for a while it depends on your dive computer most people aren't using the tables anymore anyway your body for a while still has that double nitrogen you know nearly double amount of nitrogen in its in your 
bloodstream, in your tissues, that it's got to slowly off-gas, they call it. Slowly get rid of that stuff. Now, like I said, at 33 feet, unless you're, I mean, unless you're down there for a long time, I don't even know if it's possible to have problems at that shallow of a depth. It probably is at some point. You cannot just click your fingers and go back to normal. Your body needs time to go back to that normal state, that normal 0.79 partial pressure of nitrogen state that it's used to being in. So let's say you go you go down deeper. You go down 80 feet, 90 feet, 100 feet, and you're staying down there a while. You're, you're using your dive computer, and it's telling you, okay, you're safe to go. I mean, on normal air, it's something like, it's not that much. I'm not going to say a number, but it's like less than 10 minutes down at 130 feet on normal gas, I believe, that you can actually stay down there before you start having problems without doing decompression stop. When you have divers pushing it, which a lot of divers do because you want to go down to those depths, you want to stay down there as long as your computer will let you without absorbing too much nitrogen, excess nitrogen into your system because it's cool hanging out down there. It's cool to be down there. If you've got air in your tank left, you want to stay. You want to go deeper. You want to swim. All kinds of stuff. It's a blast down there. You should try it if you haven't already. When you come back up, though, from those deeper depths, depending on how long you were down there, you've got a lot of nitrogen in you to the point where all of those all the tables, which nobody really dives with tables anymore. It's a little card redo the calculation. Everything's computerized for the most part now. So everybody's dive computers uh, when they're diving. And those dive computers are, are keeping track of all these calculations, which is great. They're amazing if you're a diver. But they also, depending on which models you're using and the algorithm stuff, they're, they're pushing you beyond what the tables would have done originally back in the old days because they can do a lot more calculations than a human could do based off a table. So it can keep you down at certain depths longer, and it can keep track of you bouncing back up. You used to have to plan your dive at the deepest point and assume you're at that depth the whole time where the, the computers can do tons of calculations. They can say, okay, you, were, you spent most of the dive at 33 feet. You're only down at 66 feet for you know five minutes. You only spent two minutes down at 99 feet and then you're back up and it can keep track of in theory how much nitrogen would have built up in the average person so you a lot of times divers will come up and they're fully loaded they they maxed out their computer and so they're coming up the surface that computer did everything all the calculations based on okay at the end of this dive this person is going to be back at the surface and then they're going to have one atmosphere of air on them. That one atmosphere of air is going to keep those nitrogen, that nitrogen air that's in the tissues, that's not air. It's like it's compressed so much that it's not actually a bubble. It's going to allow it slowly off gas and get out of the system without causing decompression sickness, which decompression sickness is actually the easiest way to describe it is if you come up too fast in the water 
or you stayed down too long and even came up slow, those nitrogen bubbles can come out of solution. Which what I mean by out of solution is if you take a um a pop, a bottle of pop for bottle of soda for the southerners down here. Ohio we call it pop. Down in Florida we call it soda. And you you crack that baby open. You have the the bubbles. That was that in in the case of your beverage that was CO two, I believe. Yeah, sounds good. I'm pretty sure that the CO two bubbles are coming out of solution because it doesn't have the pressure of the bottle that it was in before. And eventually that'll work itself out. If you open up a flat bottle of soda or pop, there's no CO2 in solution anymore because it was all taken out of solution before it went flat during the going flat process. So you don't have any bubbles then. It's the, that, that's what's happening with nitrogen in the bloodstream, in the tissues. It's coming out of solution. Now, if you were very, 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 very patient and you open the bottle and let a little bit out and then closed it, a little bit more out. I mean, and this is, could take hours of just really fine-tuning it. You could bring the pressure, decrease the pressure in that bottle of soda so slowly that you will never see any bubbles. That would be off-gassing it while keeping the carbon dioxide in solution. That's the goal for a scuba diver. You don't want nitrogen popping up in bubbles in your bloodstream, in your tissues, all your joints, and it's a mess. I've never experienced it, knock on wood. Uh, It's incredibly, incredibly painful. And it, it can be deadly. Because, and the, and the only, if you get one point out of this, if you go up to altitude and somebody starts having decompression sickness from a dive they went on earlier, going back to the lower altitude is not going to help, okay? Like I said, the entire atmosphere from outer space to sea level, that's one atmosphere, you double that in 33 feet, every 33 feet of depth you do. So you with an airplane cannot get enough pressure on that diver who is now a flyer by going to a lower altitude. Once it's coming out of solution, unless it's very, 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 very mild, which I've experienced very mild symptoms of decompression sickness, skin will get itchy a little bit. That's That's... That's the worst I've seen it. If you're actually going through full-blown decompression sickness, there's no way to get that back. And I could have got the itchiness away by going to a lower altitude. The only remedy for that is getting somebody to a, a hyperbaric chamber with a, with a doctor who's trained to run that hyperbaric chamber. And they're typically bringing that person to an air pressure way beyond the depth that they were diving to force uh, those bubbles that came out of solution back into solution 
and then they're bringing that person up by lowering the pressure so slowly. It takes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. You're stuck in the hyperbaric chamber to go through like a hyperbaric chamber treatment like this. So that's that's the biggie with this. That is why there are these rules. Because once the nitrogen comes out of solution, it's a serious process to get it back into solution and you know, save the person. Um, even if they don't die, it's, I mean, you can have severe tissue damage. It, it can be really nasty, uh, these diving injuries. Um, and it's, it's not something you can necessarily even see a lot of times from the outside. It's all, all going on internally. So part two of 8-1-2, Effects of Altitude, Part D, Delta. Uh, the recommended waiting time before going to flight altitudes of up to 8,000 feet is at least 12 hours after diving, which has not required controlled ascent, non-decompression stop diving, in parentheses, and at least 24 hours after diving, which has required controlled ascent, decompression stop diving, in parentheses. The waiting time before going to flight altitudes above 8,000 feet should be at least 24 hours after any scuba dive. These recommended altitudes are actual flight altitudes above mean sea level and not pressurized cabin altitudes. This takes into consideration the risk of decompression of the aircraft during flight. So this is... This is the FAA's guidance, which we'll break down, and then I have the guidance um, from the two agencies I've trained under, which is PADI, uh, Professional Association of Dive Instructors, I think, and then SSI, which stands for Scuba Schools International, I think. I'm not sure. SSI and PADI, they're, they're two, two of the biggest... Uh, there are some a couple others out there. Patty's actually, I think, the biggest technically. But the FA, we'll start with the FA and the AIM. So the recommended waiting time before going to flight altitudes of up to 8,000 feet is at least 12 hours after diving. If it was a non-decompression dive. And what a decompression dive m- means is, as I mentioned earlier, if you're going down to depth, if you go down to like 40 meters, 130 feet, your bottom time under normal a normal mix of air, that's just pressurized air, you haven't adjusted the percentages of oxygen or nitrogen or helium in the mix, your bottom time, I, I'm pretty sure, is less than 10 minutes you can actually spend down there before you have to slowly start coming back up. Nice controlled ascent. And then you come, um, you come up to the surface. You do a safety stop, if if you're a good diver. That safety stop is typically around 15 feet for about three to five minutes. And that's just just in case um, you pushed it a little bit or not. Just it just gives you a buffer, I should say. That's the best way to put it. It gives you a buffer for everything else of. Uh, about slowing down your ascent, and it gives you that 15 feet 
of water weight above you and pressure on you to allow that nitrogen to kind of come out of, out of solution a little bit. Um, not no, no, I should say that off gas a little bit, not come up without coming out of solution. It just gives you that safety margin before you ascend right to the top because the, the greatest change happens right at the top there, um, that first atmosphere, because you're doubling. It's a 50% change in atmosphere versus like 33 to 60, um, 66 feet from two atmospheres to three atmospheres. That's only a 20, it's only, it's, it's less than 50, 20, I don't know, it's not 25, 33, I don't know. Too many Captain and Cokes to do fraction math. To do that safety stop, that's that's not decompression diving. That's not that wasn't a required decompression stop. That was a safety stop for precautions. You followed your tables in more than likely now in 2021. You followed your dive computer that was set up for non-decompression diving. And you're doing that, you're doing that safety stop at 15, 20 feet deep for three to five minutes, just as an extra layer of protection to to make sure you don't surface and have decompression sickness or or other ailments, other other ailments. I'm just going to add that out. A decompression stop. That is when you went to a depth down deep. Typically, it doesn't have to be down deep. It's you've gone to a depth, and then you have stayed at that depth, knowing that you cannot do a controlled, nice, easy ascent all the way up to the surface without getting decompression sickness. You basically, you stayed down so past like the recreation, what they call recreational diving. This is now, you're in the world of technical diving. You've stayed at a depth longer than that recreational diver who's following, you know, the safe charts and the the computer and stuff. And I I use that word loosely. Uh, Safe. It's a, I just went through my FIRC through the, the King program, and they said don't don't use that word safety because nothing's really safe. Totally different episode. You've stayed at that depth. I'm not even going to use examples because I don't want to misquote and have some idiot go try it based on what I said number wise. Go through the training, do what they do in scuba diving training. But you stayed at the depth longer than. A recreational diver has and you can no longer just ascend straight to the surface and be okay you you have to then part of your plan if you know unless it's if this is unplanned you're in a very bad situation so let's think technical divers here who are doing this under training they plan to do this everything is under control you know they've that this is intended they're professionals at this even if they're not doing it for money you stayed at depth. You, now you've got to come up to a like a higher depth, which is in your charts and you've planned for this. It's in your computer, and you have to stay at this higher depth. For, basically, there's like a ceiling. You've got to ascend to this this depth on your way to the surface. On your way up, we, we this is reverse because normally flying we. Back to the surface means going down, and scuba diving back to the surface means going up. Now you have to stay. I, I think a lot of times I hear is like you got to stay twenty minutes at this at this depth. I, I almost said altitude. 
you gotta stay 20 minutes at that depth before you can then go above that depth. And then if it's multiple deco stop, multiple decompression stops, you've gotta do 20 minutes at that so you have that pressure of the ocean at that depth that will keep all that nitrogen in solution while it off gases and kind of gets out of your system before you can go up to the next level. And then you got to stay at maybe a second safety stop or not safety stop, um, second decompression stop for another 20 minutes on your way up. And then you get to the 15, 20 feet and you stay for that two to three minutes for your safety stop on top of all that. That's a decompression dive. That is not common in recreational diving. It's becoming more common. The equipment's getting better and better. Um, uh, something I plan on getting into. It's fascinating to me. But most scuba divers are not messing around with that stuff. If they're doing decompressions, it was they did something stupid or something bad happened, some situation happened, and their computer, their recreational computer, is telling them, hey, bud, you just stayed down too deep too long. You have now got to do this emergency deco stop at whatever depth, which is, it is a good thing for the, if a wreck diver gets in that situation, a lot of the modern computers will start showing them stuff like that. Hey, stop at this depth for 20 minutes, you buffoon, before you go back up to the surface. So unless it's that situation, these are typically going to be tech divers. Tech divers are like the ATP, airline transport pilots of scuba divers. You don't really have to worry about that. They know not to go flying. There, there's a lot less yahoos um, I've seen anecdotally in that technical diver group than your your big recreational diver group. The recreational diver group, you got all sorts of people. You got people like me who are like doing it and aspiring to be technical divers, so we take it very seriously. I'm also a pilot. Pilots make great scuba divers. Scuba divers... Um, have an interest in flying. I think tech divers would make really good pilots. A lot of scuba divers would make good pilots. Um, there's a lot of cross overlap in that Venn diagram between these two activities. But that's what they mean when, they, when they're saying a non-decompression stop, which the FAA says at least 12 hours before you go above 8,000 feet mean sea level. And then obviously... Uh, the, the next one was at least 24 hours after diving, which has required controlled descent, decompression, stop diving. So if they've done decompression stops, if they've whether it was planned, like a tech diver would properly, you know, uh, manage the risk of and, and do it properly, keeping the risk as low as possible, or a Yahoo wreck diver who just messed up and was you know, fortunately had his computer that saved his butt and said, hey, you're a schmuck. Stop at whatever feet for 20 minutes, you buffoon. Like, don't go straight to the surface. You were down too long. Those, those people shouldn't fly for 24 hours, according to the FAA. Uh, these recommended altitudes are actual flight altitudes above mean sea level, not pressurized cabin altitudes. This is a very important. There's a lot of pressurized jets. I'm sure Lee, 
he was here could weigh in this a lot more than I can. That will keep you below at or below eight thousand feet. So if you're a if you're in this boat and you've just gone scuba diving and you go up in your jet uh, airliner, what you know, private Learjet, what have you. In a lot of cases, you can stay below at or below eight thousand feet. So shouldn't that be no problemo? Well, no. The FAA is considering the repercussions if you were to have depressurization in that cabin. Like I said, it's not once once those bubbles, once those nitrogen comes out of solution and is forming bubbles in your tissues and your bloodstream, it happens like that. I don't know if you could heard that click. I never tried to do that before. We'll see if that came through. Um, you can't just then go dive the jet. You're doing that anyway in decompression situations. You're getting that jet back down to where you don't need pressurizations. You know, the pilots can land and breathe without supplemental oxygen and all that good news. That's great for the flight crew and the, everybody who wasn't just scuba diving. But if you were up there when that happened... Going back down to the lower altitude is not going to undo the decompression sickness. You've got to then, you're going through incredible pain. The passenger, hopefully it's not a pilot doing it. The passenger, you know, is in incredible pain. If you are the pilot, this is debilitating pain from what I understand. It is not, does not sound like you could get a, in a lot of situations, just fly the airplane back down yourself and go get help it's debilitating pain that would prevent you from flying the airplane or if you're a passenger it's just you have a passenger that it's in debilitating pain and now has to get to a hyperbaric chamber and go through decompression sickness treatment don't go above that that's what the FAA is saying okay even if it's a pressurized cabin that if everything goes perfectly it will stay, you know, at or below 8,000 feet. Still don't do that because you have the chance of decompression of the airplane cabin. And if that happens, the person who's got all that nitrogen buildup is screwed, okay? You can't just go back down to lower altitude like every other passenger pilot on that, in that cabin can do. And once you get down to reasonable altitudes again, you're fine. If you, if those, the nitrogens come out of solution, you're done. Like it's, it, that's that's your decompression situation on top of everything else you're dealing with. So don't do that. That's what they mean by that. And I do want to. I will put the link in the show notes. I actually wrote an article prior to starting this podcast about Patty versus SSI for the open water diver. Um, I I did something weird. I went through both programs at the same time. The instructor I use for scuba diving, he's trained in both agencies and allows me to pay for both agencies. So I went through both programs at once, which is unheard of. Um, I've never heard of anybody else doing this. Uh, But it kind of gave me a unique perspective about the two different agencies. So if you're interested in getting into scuba diving and want to know whether to go with PADI or SSI for your training... I'll put the article in the show notes, but I'm, I'm basing this off of uh, my 2019 article, which this was up to date as of then. Patty's recommendation, uh, single no-stop dive needs pre-flight surface interval of twenty or of 12 hours. So that is, um, 
That's different. They're not they're not putting in the eight thousand feet. They're saying don't fly for twelve hours, regardless. And if you did if you dove, you should have a twelve hours at the surface, not diving, not flying before you get on an airplane. That's on a single dive. Okay, if you've done repetitive dives, this is something if you get into scuba diving, you can go have a, what they call a surface interval, which is a time on the surface, and then go dive again. That second dive, you still have some of that built-up nitrogen from your last dive, unless it's been a while. Unless it's however many, unless your surface interval is so long that it, you've off-gassed everything. We're talking like an hour or two after your first dive. You go diving again. All of the numbers change as far as how deep you can go, how long you can stay at depths, all that stuff. Because it's accounting for all that nitrogen you had in your system from the first dive still. So that's what they mean by repetitive dives or multi-day dives. They up it to 18 hours. So if you've done two or more dives, like in a day, that's a repetitive diving situation. Patty recommends 18 hours before you get on an airplane. Again, they're not saying, oh, you're fine up to 8,000 feet. They're saying don't get on an airplane for 18 hours if you've done more than you know, two or more dives during the day. Um, I personally am going to weigh more towards the dive agency's recommendations than the FAA because the FAA is an airplane organization and these are diving organizations. They know a little more about diving, I feel like. Uh, and then their third advice, dives requiring emergency decompression stops because um, this was the book taken out of the open water book so they're not getting into the technical stuff like I just did. Dives requiring emergency decompression stops greater than 18 hours suggested. Okay? So, they're going less than the FAA does. Um, in those situations, I am going to go with whichever's more. So, I, I would go with the, the uh, FAAs over Patty. Um, that's just me being cautious. SSI, always wait 24 hours after diving if you fly or drive above 1,500 feet. So they SSI is giving a foot that is way, it's 1,500 feet versus 8,000 feet the FAA gives as their cutoff. And they're saying always wait 24 hours after diving if you fly or drive above 1,500 feet. So that's even more conservative of a, a window, which... Out of all these three, you know, I went through the PADI, the SSI, and I'm obviously a pilot for the FAA. I go with SSIs for that. I don't, I don't get an airplane within 24 hours of diving. I just, I, I just don't do it. Um, I typically wait more than that. Um, for them, more than one dive per day for several consecutive days or decompression dives, wait more than 24 hours. So they don't give you, they don't give you an exact time, but they're just like, up, up your time if you're doing repetitive dives uh, for consecutive days or you did decompression dives, whether they don't specify emergency exercise more technically oriented, I think, than Patty. Again, if you're interested, read the article. The reason I'm bringing up all this nuance is if you're not a diver, or if you are a diver and a pilot, or you're not a pilot, but you're flying divers and you're hearing different suggestions there's no rhyme or reason every body every everybody every body like physical body is different and are going to handle 
this stuff differently than others. It's not like one size fits all. Uh, so two things I want to point out actually with this. One, if you're hearing different people say different things, it doesn't mean someone's wrong, someone's right. They could be going, someone could be going by the FAA's numbers. Someone could be going by Patty's numbers. Someone could be going by SSI's numbers. There's one, there's a certification called NAWI. Um, there's another group, TDI, Technical Divers Internet, something. SDI, I think. I don't know. There's a there's different organizations that are going on different. They teach different numbers to keep people safe and for the people going through the program. And then two is the point of every everyone's different. Every person's body is different and reacts differently to all this stuff: breathing, compressed gas at depth, and then going flying or just going to the surface. You can follow all of the stuff to a T and still get decompression sickness. That's why I personally use an abundance of caution with the depths I go to, the times I stay at those depths, the surface intervals I do between dives, the amount of time I wait before I get in an aircraft, even if I'm doing low altitude stuff after a dive. Just because I don't want to push it. I don't want to find out if my body is good and will not react to these standards. And even if you have pushed to a T one day or got, say you pushed it beyond uh, what was recommended and you did not get decompression sickness, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen the next time you do it. There are countless factors for decompression sickness that can make you more or less susceptible. So it's really difficult to just guarantee you're not going to get it. Uh, pulling it up on my phone here. This is SSI's app I'm looking through to find all this stuff. Other factors affecting nitrogen absorption and decompression sickness. There are many things that can interfere with proper absorption and elimination of nitrogen. Sickness. If you're sick, that can throw a wrench in the works. Your age will throw a wrench in the works. Alcohol or drug use will throw a wrench in the works. Like I said, the one time I got uh, itchy skin, uh, I won't say where it got itchy. Um, this is it, it pops up where the skin is very th- is thin compared to the rest of your body. I'll let you use your imagination, but it it the ones are one or two times it has happened. I've done consecutive deeper dives, like down to forty meters, hundred thirty feet wreck diving off of Pompano, Lady Luck um, wreck. If anyone is familiar with that, I was doing multiple. I did multiple dives on the Lucky Lady down to Pompano. We went down to the. Uh, we went down to the the rocks off of the bow, which is right at 130 feet, and uh, went by all the tables, or not the tables, I was using dive computers and everything, with an instructor. We did everything to a T, uh, all good, and then that night I went and had a couple beers at uh, Frigate's restaurant up in North Palm Beach, and uh, that, that's, that set it off. I started to get itchy skin in places we won't talk about because the, the skin is real thin. Um, extreme heat or cold, uh, that will affect it. Old injuries, 
proneness to blood clotting, obesity, medication, lack of sleep, extreme fatigue, and a huge one I hear from everybody who uh, who dives that I've had this conversation with, dehydration. Uh, if you forget to just drink a ton of water, you're way more susceptible to decompression sickness. So keep that in mind. If somebody's you know wanting to go flying with you and they're like, no, no, I've done this. You know, yeah, I dove, but it's cool. You know, I've flown a bunch of times after I dove, you know, this amount of time after I dove at those depths. Just don't, don't take them flying. Just because there's so many variables. Why risk it? Why risk it? That's the whole point. Um, hopefully this edits into something coherent. I have no idea if it will edit into anything coherent. Um, we're going to hold off on five-star written reviews because I, I want Scott and Lee to be with us because um, I believe it's either the, the next one or the one after that is, is the one I, I know Scott is going to have some comments on. It's kind of funny. Um, so holding off on, on reading those. Email is a, a, the preferred method of communication, our preferred method of communication. Um my email is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com, B-E-R-G-E-R, the German way, not the sandwich way. Um, this I'd normally ramble off the others, but I'm the only one on, so yeah. If you want to email them, you've, you've listened to other episodes and other emails. But yeah, uh, that's, that's all I got. We're, uh, we're battling tech issues, battling, battling battling tech issues um very frustrating we are going to figure it out we're gonna get through this and we'll we'll back full full blown three podcast host episodes uh coming as soon as we can uh hopefully next week there is a third option i can do that emergency i can get at least probably scott on um to record but uh yeah it's we're gonna get through it i got my computer still on the way still ordered Uh, that should solve hopefully will solve many 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 problems uh yeah seriously send me an email on this i love talking scuba diving if i were to start another podcast which now that i've started a podcast and run a podcast produce it and host it and all that good jazz uh, do not have a desire to start another podcast. But if I did start another podcast, it would pr- it'd probably be a scuba diving because I, uh, it is, like I said, right up, uh, just as high as as aviation uh, in my book. Uh, as far as just my hobbies, my favorite hobbies and stuff I like to do. So shoot me an email if you are a diver, if you're interested in diving, uh, if you're South Florida living or working or spending time in vacationing and you want to you want a good instructor uh shoot me an email uh it right now i think he's backed up for a few months but uh it's usually not that bad but i got an incredible instructor down here mark who uh i can put you in touch in if you're looking at uh getting into diving and um want an incredible instructor uh he can usually you know if you book months he's months out so by the time you you get booked with them you could probably find hotel rooms and stuff and, and go come down here for a week 
get out of that cold, cold weather up north. Um, yeah, shoot me an email. Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. Bye. Oh,